Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Realcom Live. Uh, every week I say it, this is going to be a great episode, and they usually are. This one is extremely special to me because our guest, Scott Morey, president of WeWork Workplace and Technology, is not just a peer, but I would call Scott a friend. We go back easily 20, possibly 25 years. I remember uh, the first time I walked into Scott's office in Chicago at Equity Office where he was the CIO. And just think about what I'm about to say. Scott was going on and on about the idea of analyzing the iterations of motors inside equipment in the buildings in an attempt to provide information or predictive analytics on when that device might fail. Okay, think about that. 20 plus years ago, that kind of mind. No, uh, no surprise that his career has been one of the most stellars in the industry. Uh, top consultant, uh, worked with top real estate companies, did a stint in Africa, uh, and to come back and end up um, being the chief technology folk, uh, person, or we work in, in the workplace and technology, um, just an unbelievable career. So it's going to be a great conversation. We're going to talk about the future of work, flex space, and nobody better than we work to tell us what the heck is going on in that space. Before we get started, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, take a moment to acknowledge what's going on in Ukraine. A terrible situation. Wanting to let you know our thoughts and prayers are with all those folks who are suffering that terrible situation, and we all hope uh, that it resolves quickly and peacefully. So with that, um, before I bring on Scott, we're going to show you a quick uh, video of WeWork to give you some context and then uh, be prepared for a great conversation. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm very good. How are you? Appreciate the uh, kind introduction. Well, yeah, we're going to get to a little bit more detail that in a second, but I wanted to ask you, you noticed our bumper that we started the show with? It was from Nashville. I think that was actually you on the stage, if I remember correctly. That was an amazing forum, and I think it might have been me on the stage. You and I and Wayne Pryor, right, had done something. Talking about, about, you know, it was talking about tech. tech. Yep, exactly. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I've been telling a lot of folks lately that it's easy to have an opinion, but it's more difficult to have an opinion that are, that's backed up by experience and credentials. Because with the internet today, everybody can jump on and you know say whatever they want. Um, and that's fine, I'm, I'm all for free speech, but I, I, to have credentials and experience means a lot. Honestly, as I said in the opening, your career story um, you've really run a gamut of, of different uh, angles and different um, positions in the industry, all with great success. Would you mind giving the audience a quick rundown of your career, just so they have the context of where you're coming from as we get into this conversation? Well, I, and I would say I've been quite, as you go through it, fortunate on given opportunities to do certain things. You and I have talked about that before. I, I started working in the late 80s, 1988. That was at Arthur Anderson in 89 was my first real estate project. And I've stayed in real estate in some form of technology since. You and I for a long time would call real estate and technology an oxymoron, which I think it might have been in the beginning. <laughs> uh, I ultimately ended up with a firm called Kent Leventhal. Uh, Ernst & Young bought them. A lot of us in this industry came out of that group. I think about Dave Stanford, a lot of folks out of Real Foundations and 111 and Cone and, and, and in the industry side. 
um, as well. Anyway, I left, I was a partner at ENY, I left at 2000. I joined Equity Office Properties at the time. Later, through acquisitions, became where you and I met the first S&P 500 real estate company with the growth of the REITs in the 90s. I left there in 2004, went back into advisory in Chicago uh, on these very topics, technology and real estate and, and operations and all that kind of stuff. London in 2006, doing the same thing. I was expanding uh, at the time as Real Foundations offices in Europe. 2008, I went to Nigeria. A lot of folks like yourself were wondering what I was doing. <laughs> I was down there in a two-year contract, really in real estate, but much more less tech. Uh, right. So it was a large developer in West Africa. Then joined Alvarez Mersal during the fallout, right? And I was running their real estate practice in EMEA. Joined Sandy Mithrani General Growth in 2011 as part of that turnaround. Left in 17, did some advisory work. And then now, of course, uh, with WeWork, I joined a little bit less than a year ago. So the lucky part is I've been able to build on what I've done before. And then again, I think I've been really fortunate having people I've worked with and for that value uh, the skills that folks like you and I bring. Yeah. And and I do think that that word experience means something. Um, you know, roads not to travel down. You can see the horizon much easier because you've been there. And um, I think we can never lose sight of how important experience is, especially as in the topic we're about to um, to discuss. So let's talk about your first year at WeWork, 10 months a year. Um, you know, the future of work, how you guys are going to capitalize on it, you know, as disruption, um, you know, that some of the things that you were tasked with doing. Can you give us a little oversight or overview of what, what that looked like? Yeah, happy to. You know, when I joined, a lot of the hard work on the restructuring was done, right, which goes back to late China 2019, 2020. And so I came in really trying to reinforce what we would call our three main kind of areas or streams of business or, or legs. Our core business, which is what it is, right? Like we lease and build out space and do that. But actually, how do we expand that in more creative ways, which we'll talk about? And how do we finance it differently or how do we structure it differently, but, but add to the inventory in a high growth market? The second wheel is our access products. So all access on demand, which really was invented by WeWork. Mm -hmm. And you had a business there on all access that, that launched in late 2020. That was over a $100 million business in the last year, put it in perspective. Wow. Um, and then on demand, like it sounds. And then the third piece, which was, was not launched, but we've since launched, is the SaaS business. So we've extended our technology in ways to add value to our enterprise customers and other customers in their use of WeWork space, but in their use of their own WeWork space. So my title, as you said earlier, is president of technology and what we call WeWork Workplace. And WeWork Workplace is that SaaS offering. Right. So and you and I have been having this conversation for a long time. Um, prior to the pandemic, the digital transformation, not just of the real estate industry, but of, of society as a whole. You think back to the laptop computer was really the first opportunity for a business person to take their office with them and go, right? So that, that's probably mid 80s, if I think back. So now we got all these professionals, you know, when you were working in the consulting business, running around clients. And right up until the pandemic, it was moving at a fairly good clip. People were working from Starbucks and airports and homes, but then came the pandemic and gave the whole world this experiment of working from home. And even people who, who did not believe in it were forced to do it, right? So at a, from a 30,000 foot level, what happened during the pandemic? And is it going to be short-lived 
or are those patterns and habits ingrained in people forever? What does the workplace look post-pandemic? Let, let me do a real short parallel on retail, right? Jerry Yang covered Time Magazine, I think 2000 something, right? Long time ago. Malls are dead, right? And I think it was around 2000, 2001, if my mm -hmm. memory is right. And really the inflection of what happened with retail, I would argue, has happened the last really kind of six to eight years. And there's a parallel there. And what the parallel is that there were already alternative formats for retail, but the combination of technology and those forms empowered the consumer and put them in control. So now you go to, let's talk about office. It's not necessarily a new format. There's parts of it that are new, right? And I think what's happened now is one, any preconceived ideas people had of how we could work remotely and be effective or not have been dispelled. There's still value in being together, which we'll talk about. But suddenly now the individual is empowered and you've got technology and alternative formats that allow people to engage in space in more dynamic ways for the hour, for the day, for the week and different formats. And I don't think that empowerment is going to shift at all. Mm -hmm. And so the last two years amplified that environment, which was already underway, right? And really put a position where folks as individuals now have a choice uh, based upon the formats that are now offered, like ours, products in the marketplace, based upon technology that allow them to engage in ways that put them in complete control. That's what's different. And I think it's similar to retail of what happened with consumers. They got a real choice. They got a real choice. Real choice. So, so if you think about um, occupancy or utilization pre-pandemic, our numbers were thirty-five-ish to forty. Not not occupancy or as a as a counter to vacancy. I'm talking about utilization, the time mm -hmm. that the space was used. We call it 35, 40 percent. That was pre-pandemic. Okay, once the pandemic hit, you know, New York was at one percent. You know, San Francisco, I understand today is still sub twenty. Um, percent. So the big question, and, and it was really interesting to watch the corporate tenants deal with this. The the, the uh, goal line kept getting moved every three months. Well, it'll be at Christmas. Now it's the spring. Well, maybe it's the summer. It'll be after Labor Day. We heard that for two years now, right? So here's the question. When, why, and to what extent will we see workers come back at some kind of scale? And what size is that scale? So I think you take flex space today is 2% of all office space, right? So then you say, and I shared some stats back when we were together earlier this year at your conference. I'll give you a recent one. Um, third, so we're 0.5% of that 2% roughly to put in perspective with 50 million square feet. You take the third quarter of last year, and again, we're 0.5% of the inventory. We were 9% of the entire US's leasing volume. It's happening already within the format. Now, if you look statistically, through, right, we're, we're, I'm not going to talk about Q1, obviously, Republic, but you look last year, we've been on the upswing for several months starting last year when you look at us sort of going on, you know, statistically. So on that basis, it's happening. It's just not happening in the traditional landlord format. Like we are picking up, and our category, right, is picking up that, that volume. And I shared this before, we were briefly catching up, but you know, I was in New York yesterday and I was at a property of ours on, on uh, 14th Street. And we're 90 plus percent occupied. Wow. And yesterday I was there, not just contractually, physically. Like That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, physically. Yeah, right. unbelievable, right? Kind of in, in, in the scheme of things. And so we're continuing to see our occupancy go up on an aggregate basis. If my memory's right at the end of, of, uh, of last year, we were just below 70%. I think we were at 66% occupancy. 
Um, and that trend, you know, continue to see or hopefully can you see that going forward. But the reality is on the leasing activity alone, the, 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 the corporations of America and the world really, right? Because we're in different markets in the UK or in India or China, these other places. We're picking up the volume. No one is leasing at the same level that we're leasing in, in any of these other formats. Boy, if that's not an indication of what life's going to look like post-pandemic. And, and the other thing that I think is real interesting is it's real easy for us to talk about Class A because that's kind of the world we all grew up in, right? You know, we kind of hung together and mm -hmm. knew each other. But, but what nobody's talking about is B and C, right? That small accounting firm in that suburban office that's figured out how to work remotely. Why go back to the 10,000, 20,000 square feet? Why not, you know, and, and you and I talked about this in prep. There's people we know that have shut their offices down and have done contracts with you guys or others for the flex space. Um, and and I, I think that it's something that the industry needs to be paying a lot of attention to. But th think this way, I think it's not just, you know, we want 100,000 square feet. We have people taking over 100,000 square feet for us as headquarters, like Santander would be an example of that recently. Um, but what it is, is, you know, our average term length is 20, you know, is 20 months. It's not a seven year average lease. And so you're, you know, and I think of flex space, flex is, there's two parts to it. There's the contractual structure. You want the hour, you want the day, you want the week, you want the month, you want the year or whatever. It doesn't matter anymore. And there's flex in formats. I want collaborative space. I want hub space. I want individual space. To me, flex is sort of right within those barriers. And I think companies are finding out the right balance and then leveraging technology to get better use of it. So not just the analytics on usage. You know, we've got companies maybe where I'm making it up hypothetically, but it's, there's a lot of real stories about it. They might have a thousand people in the market and they might have 400 seats with us. And we're using our technology in effect for how we help them organize around and utilize that space. And so it's, it's quite fascinating, actually. Well, at the end of the day, I mean, I don't mean to oversimplify it, but it's just extreme efficiency in a market that was very inefficient. Mm -hmm. I mean, 30, 35% utilization across the board. And that's Monday morning, you know, nine to five. If you do 24 hours a day, seven days a week, actual, actual utilization on a weekly basis is sub 10%. Right. So you guys have just figured out how to pick up and hedge that inefficiency uh, in an extraordinary way. And then we lay on global warming and climate and all the and time management, all the other things. A lot of good reasons pointing to your model. All right. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk about some technology uh, that makes up a hybrid flex uh, space. Um, and nobody better to talk to than we work. Be right back. The way we think about the office has changed. When you need to manage dynamic work models, new employee expectations, and keep up with compliance, you need a mobile-first, data-powered strategy and a partner that understands the building of the future because they're inventing it. It's time for real-time visibility over your workforce and your space so you can track, communicate, plan, and optimize whether you manage one site or many. Honeywell Sign makes it easy to keep your workforce working, no matter what the future holds. All right. Um, so we, we've been throwing around the word hybrid uh, and flex, you know, pretty regularly now. Let's let's get a little granular. Um, what we've experienced in the hybrid, at least from an online or a physical um, physical and an online, is is to make the the virtual world and the physical world ubiquitous, right? So everybody's getting all freaked out about the metaverse, and we're all going to be meeting in the metaverse. 
I believe to some extent we will be meeting in the metaverse, just like you and I are doing this right now. But I still believe there's an incredible need for humans to be together. So that hence the word hybrid, a little bit of online, a little bit of physical. Tell me what is going to make a WeWork office unique in the next 24, 36 months. What technology, what applications, what features are we going to see when we walk into an office that says, this is different than what I'm used to? Well, I think I'm going to answer it because I think there's three tranches, actually. There, there's a pure we're meeting in person or right around physical space. There's the hybrid then you're sort of the full remote, right, or virtual, actually, which mm -hmm. I think is now turning into more of a metaverse conversation. I think on the pure physical product, we spent a lot of time around purposeful design and, and the structure around that. And so I'll refer, I, I'm sure, I think you've met him, Paco Underhill, right, is kind of the, one of his fortes, actually it's more than that, is on consumer behavior on retail. And he started to do more science, right? He's a really interesting guy around what he would call collision points in office space. We haven't used him directly. I was catching up with him when he was sharing the story. And we would call that the water cooler in the back, right? Yep. Back in the day, like the water cooler conversation. So I think we're getting more purposeful and intentful, I think, around the physical design and layout. Not, and then in a modular basis to make it easier and more dynamic to change those formats. But there's a science there that's very distinct. And I think not just unique to WeWork, but I think we've done a great job and we're continuing to advance it. If you look at the stuff we're doing today versus what we did before, it's a different experience. The second one is around the seamlessness on a technology and hybrid basis. And there's an infrastructure part of this Wi-Fi and connecting, or I think I've got 14,000 printers. You could print anywhere and then globally with your black card, put it on the thing and, and your piece of paper, or whatever it is you're, you know, you're gonna have print out. So the seamless aspect to that interaction. Ubiquitous, yep. Yeah, thank you. But the um, taking that further, you know, we spent a lot of time on, I think I've got 12,000 video conference rooms with audio visual. And we're constantly trying out different formats and screens and more. We, you and I would use the word more immersive, which tends to be right. positive in, in, in that experience. I mean, that technology is it, it just got amplified the demand for that through this cycle. And, um, you know, we're opening labs in places to effectively, you know, showcase that. But that'll always be something extremely important to us because we are in this new reality. And there was a, I don't want to name it the company, but they went literally from like 1,000 to 14,000 employees in three years. I was meeting with their head of, um, of the workforce. And he used this term equity, which of course, a lot of people equate to economic equity, which is fair, right? His right. equity was whether I'm remote or not remote or split up, it's got to be the same experience for everybody. He's totally right, 100%. And I think that's the same path, you know, we're going down. And again, we're, we're fortunate to position of the volume of people we have uh, within the mix, I think I've got something like 600,000 membership. I could have hundreds of thousand people every day that are on my infrastructure. But how do we advance that and make it you know, that much better? The metaverse is fascinating, more at a personal level. I'm reading the same thing uh, probably that, you know, that we're all reading. Uh, there is something there. And, and I think looking at it a different way, though, Jim, too, is like, there's, I don't want to mention the companies. I'm not sure if they want me to mention them. But um, one is about metaverse on sort of this broader basis, but there's some really interesting hybrid formats relative to floor plan level, more immersive things, right? About where people are and how you connect in the physical and digital sense. And so I think, you know, like anything, the pendulum's kind of a lot of, it's a shiny object right and now. it might be a little bit too shiny, but there's some real value there. I think again, about digitally in our laptops, if you know, Aaron 
and how we work better together regardless of, of well we again it goes back to that experience i opened up with i mean yes there's an incredible amount of hype too much hype we're going to see it go straight up but for those of us who've been around a little bit what you're going to do is you're going to look for those nuggets along the way that when this thing corrects they're going to be you know think about the early days with costar and loopnet right before the the dot com i mean think of the companies that came out of that after it crashed some really good big companies right mm -hmm. Um, so I know you guys are playing around with some immersive technologies, uh, in our general session this year, we, you know, had five speakers on the stage and we brought two of them in virtually at scale. So they were, you know, six feet tall sitting at desks and it, it wasn't perfect. We kind of hacked it, but it kind of gave people a sense. We're going to be taking that to the next level at our conference coming up in June, uh, in Orlando. What are you seeing on the immersive side? Anything that's really intriguing you and, and you're finding interesting? Yeah. You know, the interesting part, just talk about it before I get specific, just the general category. You and I know when we see new technology, it's never priced effectively to scale, Correct. right? And they're chunky, actually. And so I'm seeing amazing innovation on things like holograms and sort of other categories, but it's not in a fashion that makes it scalable to a broader market. And so we always see these big investment curves, things get repriced, and someone comes in and develops a way effectively to scale it in mass. We're in the early part of those cycles. And so there's great technology. I've seen the stuff that you've, you've been playing around with and we've got some stuff that we've been playing around with, but it's not in a basis that would make cost-effective sense to deploy it on a broader basis. Yeah, I, there's not many people I could ask this question. I mean, we had teleportation at Realcom in 2001, mm -hmm. okay? And, and when we teleported Malcolm King in from London, and he showed up on the stage like a Star Trek character. Everybody gasped, right? So that was 21 years ago. Why hasn't that whole industry developed to the point where we are ready to scale? Why are we, it seems like we just, there's a chunk of time there that was ignored because the technology, frankly, hasn't really improved that much since 2001. Yeah, any thoughts on that? I think the market wasn't ready. And I think in the same way we're talking about the inflection point for retail and the inflection point for office, that I think people are more accepting of that and, and see the value more than they had before. I mean, the way you ran your conference, it was the hologram, but you know, it was unbelievable actually in the scheme of things about how many people and the way we connected in the physical and digital sense in that forum, in a physical conference forum, remote conference forum was, was pretty unique. Yeah, we're probably on our sixth iteration of hybrid. And boy, you talk about learning curve and scars. And guess what? You don't, you know, you can call the baseball game all you want from the first row unless you're at that plate striking out. And that's a message to our industry, to the real estate industry. You guys are constantly swinging the bat, trying new things. And there's still, I've spent my whole career in this industry, a tremendous resistance to trying, really trying innovative new things, despite all the money that's being thrown at these things. All right, we're going to have time for a couple more questions. Um, who are going to be the winners and the losers? If you answer this one quick, because I got one final. Who are going to be the winners and the losers in this transformation, digital transformation, hybrid, work, virtual, metaverse world, physical, virtual, and everything in between? Who wins and who loses? I think the individual wins in the end because of choice and the empowerment, as we were talking about earlier. Great. It's harder to say on who loses because I don't think it's black and white again. I think it's about a recalibration of these hybrid both. There's a need for a long-term lease structure in traditional formats, a need for the shorter. In the same way that you and I saw going to retail, online book sales went all the way up to like 50-something percent and recalibrated, if my memory's right, in the 40s. There's a natural calibration here that needs to occur. And so obviously those that hold out longer, that they don't think there's some 
validity to this. I think it, it, it's going to be a little bit more painful for them. But, but I think in the end, the individual wins. Our members win. Our customers win. Us as individual workers in the workforce win. Yeah. I, I mean, as, as you're talking, I got another 10 questions that I know we're not going to be able to get to, but I'm going to ask you this. Um, I want to have you back and talk about the impact to cities um, because, you know, our buildings all sit in big cities in small cities and medium-sized cities, but you're aware of this migration going on and, you know, in, into smaller towns and, and, and nobody better than we work in the, in the way you guys locate your, your um, offices to have that conversation with. So if you're open to, I'd love to have you back and have that conversation. Um, all right, final question. Um, you know, without disclosing any secret sauce or you'll have to come and kill me, what new, crazy, cool, innovative things can we see from WeWork in the next 12, 18 months? I think what I can talk about at least, I, I am really excited around the ways that we're using analytics and engagement to create the best experiences for our customers within the use of our space, both remotely and then in person. We, you know, I'm in such a unique place because I've got again hundreds of thousands of people coming through the space. I control the physical space and the format within it, and I control the digital experience as well. So whether that's my member app or our website or whatever it may be. So I'm in this super unique place to create an amazing experience for people in ways that no one else can. There, there's no one in the same position. You might say in corporate America, because they control their own space, right? But they're not in this business. No. And all we're doing every day is we don't just talk about it. We're living in it. And, and we're going to do some really cool things, I think. Well, on that well and think about it. One corporation has one viewpoint. There's You talk to all the corporations and all the tenants. So your, your perspective is much, much wider. Um, one final, final thought. I know you said you were in New York and it was crowded and bustling and high energy. Let's end on a real positive note. What, what was it like getting back into a crowded office? I got to tell you, it was awesome, to be honest with you. And just the energy and the vibe. I, I love hybrid and I love working remotely and I love kind of having my own space. But I really enjoy when I find myself in those situations. And I, I can't wait to, to be in those more in the future. Cool. Scott, I know how busy you are. Uh, I hope we have many more conversations. It's been a joy, not just today, but for probably close to 25 years. You're one of the smartest guys I know, and I always learn something. So. Thank you. Appreciate it, Jim. Thanks for being here. Be well. All right. Um, with that, let's bring on Howard Berger, who is going to give us some news. Howard, I'm sure you enjoyed that conversation that goes, uh, the conversations with Scott go way back and they're always great. They're always great. I mean, uh, I mean, Scott is, uh, he's a very special guy. Yep. And uh, it was a pleasure having him on today. So thank you, Jim. Yep. Uh, and thank you, Scott, again. That, that was just a phenomenal conversation. Uh, so with that, yeah, I, I'll, um, I'll jump into the news. Um, I'm going to highlight a couple of key, our, our key articles from our weekly briefing. It goes out every Thursday morning. So our lead article this week uh, came from Byron Lopez. He's Director of Operational Technology for Kilroy Realty. In this article, Byron articulates the post-pandemic value proposition for the office uh, in alignment with our conversation today and why it's important to consider a hybrid approach where the office experience is frictionless and enjoyable. Now, Kilroy's really been at the forefront of smart buildings for years now. They've developed a scalable portfolio strategy and they're creating buildings that are physically, digitally secure, adaptable, sustainable, and tenant-centric. Now, it's true that employees may not necessarily need the office to effectively do their job. I mean, since most of us know that with the right technology, we can get our work done from home, Starbucks, or the beach. Even so, 
A number of us miss the office, building services, friends, colleagues, energy, but at the same time also love the convenience and comfort of being able to roll out of bed, flick on the computer, get some work done. Uh, it's a given that it's gonna be a blend of both. And if creative design and innovation are applied uh, uh, with purpose and technology, I think both goals can be achieved. So this is a great article. Thanks, Byron. Uh, also, as Jim mentioned a little earlier, our hearts and prayers go out to the Ukrainian people. You know, we know they're in for a rough time. And I, I would really encourage everyone to, to reach out, figure out ways that they can reach out and try to help in any way they can. Um, along those lines, the analysts are saying that we're now facing a higher risk of Russian cyber attacks. And Western companies really need to be on high alert and at minimum, make sure their systems are patched against known vulnerabilities. Now, Russia started locking up websites of the Ukraine uh, Defense Ministry and some com major commercial bank banks with a distributed denial of service attacks. And remember the NotPetya ransomware attack in 2017? It targeted Ukrainian organizations before ravaging the rest of the world. Now, these coming attacks may not come directly from the Russian government, but they could come from criminal gangs who's gonna, who are gonna be stepping up their own ransomware campaigns. Now, as far as retalia retaliation from NATO, it's still a gray zone on whether these attacks warrant a legal response, but if attacks escalate beyond Ukraine, I think Putin may force the world to rewrite the rule book for this aspect of modern warfare. So moving back to New York and the World Trade Center, uh, earlier this month, Silverstein Properties introduced contactless access to Seven World Trade by using an employee badge in Apple Wallet. So now employees can badge into office buildings, tenant floors, fitness centers, amenity spaces with their iPhone or Apple Watch. This leverages Silverstein's Inspire app, that's their tenant app, to set up Apple Wallet. Then you just unlock the phone, hold the device close to a, 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 a NFC near field communication enable lock. And this takes advantage of all the privacy and security built into the Apple devices. I'm like, well, why didn't anyone think of this before? So finally, uh, just a quick shout out to Remlogix. So Remlogix, they're a cloud-based commercial real estate ERP that uh, they built on no-code development. They just announced a successful go-live of their accounting solution at Federal Realty Investment Trust. Now, Federal Realty is using Remlogix solution to automate the accounting and debt and lease liabilities of their 25 million square foot portfolio of 104 retail and mixed use properties. I just wanted to say congratulations, Remlogix, on this milestone implementation. It's been a while coming um, and uh, best of luck with it. So uh, I'm out of time. That's it for me today. Thank you all for watching. Have a great weekend. And, we'll see and Howard, you. I just got to say on the cyber um, story, which was you know a, a pretty important one, this is what we've been talking about for five years, right? And and. I think as an industry, we've got to get to the bottom of why do we see these problems, these issues, these opportunities early, but it takes us so long to embrace. Whether it's you know uh, the, the teleportation technology we talked about earlier, or cloud in the early or the late '90s, we've been talking about cyber with now with the Real Estate Cyber Consortium. We need everybody to take a sober look at, at their infrastructure, both enterprise and the building level, and don't reinvent the wheel. REC is there to help folks. Um, understand and leverage each other. So I would encourage each of you to go up to the Real Estate Cyber Consortium website, learn more about it and um, and, and get involved. Uh, together we get can- Get involved, get educated, learn what you can do now to decrease your 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 threat profile exactly. uh, to the, you know, to these actors. It, it, 
there's really at this point now with the geopolitical strain, there's no there's no time to wait. No. Um, and that's the, I'd say that's the biggest thing that keeps me up at night. Right. Yeah, a lot keeps me up, but and that being one of them. So, Howard, thank you. Great job. Uh, we'll see you next week and have a great weekend. Thanks, Jim. Okay. All right. So before we wrap for this week, let's hear from our final sponsor. And uh, I'll be right back to tell you about next week. All workplaces are changing. iOffice has expanded our family of cloud-based software. So you have enterprise solutions that grow with you. We're helping you connect workplace experience and asset management to create a more agile environment for employees and better outcomes for the world. All right, so next week, what's the topic? 5G CBRS. We've been on this one for about three, four years. Uh, if you remember back in Nashville, we actually had a uh, 5G CBRS in building wireless pavilion. We've actually been on the topic of inbuilding wireless for probably close to 20 years now. But this 5G movement is a big deal, uh, especially for buildings. Um, the, to do all the things that Scott was talking about, making these workplaces you know, um, uh, easy to work in and ubiquitous to the online world. You need good broadband. Of course, we've got Wi-Fi and there's cellular, you know, that we're experiencing, you know, experience for the last five, 10 years. But 5G is going to take everything to another level in latency and in speed. And frankly, if your buildings don't have it, you're going to find yourself in a less than competitive situation. So we have got two New York City powerhouses. We've got Joe Rich with Related, Think Hudson Yards, and Nick Stello from Vernado, Think Penn Station. There are no two uh, bigger voices in New York, and not just by the size or the presence of their portfolios, but the level of innovation they do. These are two huge New York City uh, owner developers that not only build beautiful buildings, but they understand the importance of technology. So next week, I'm really looking forward to speaking with uh, with Joe and Nick, and we're going to have a great conversation. If you got any questions about 5G, CBRS, uh, this is a great place to start. So with that, I'd like to say thank you. Have a great uh, weekend. And again, thoughts and prayers to all those folks in Ukraine. And uh, hopefully next week, uh, we got better news on, on the world front and uh, it makes it a little bit easier to have our conversation on 5G. Everybody have a great weekend. Be well.